C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, once said that the world is a great sculptor's shop. The world is a great sculptor's shop, and we are the statues in that shop. And there is a rumor going around that some of us are someday going to come to life. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a book of the Bible. We're going to begin studying through a book of the Bible that talks about that someday. And it is the last book of the Bible. It is the book of Revelation. And we're going to be taking a journey through uh, this very uh, final word from God in His Scriptures. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the book of Revelation beginning in chapter 1. You'll find that on page 867 of your church Bibles. And I'm going to read uh, Revelation chapter 1 in its entirety. And then I want us to just think about three questions this morning. All right? Three questions as just kind of help track our thoughts. And question number one is this. As we're reading through, as we're studying and, and, and kind of dealing with the verses here in Revelation chapter 1. First question is, where is John? Where is the Apostle John? This, this book did not just appear out of nowhere. It came out of a life situation. And we're going to talk about that life situation. Where is John? And the second question is, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? What's he doing? That's a very important question we'll learn. And then the last question is pretty personal. Where am I? Where am I? Where is John? Where is Jesus? Where am I? Revelation chapter 1, it's in your church Bibles, or it's going to be up on the screen. Here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, that's, that's Turkey, western Turkey, seven churches, we'll find out where they are in just a minute. Grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come. And from the sevenfold spirit before his throne. Take a look at the footnote there in your church Bibles. We're going to use that reading. The sevenfold spirit. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Can you see the Trinity there in those? God the Father, who was, who is, who is to come. And then the sevenfold spirit, the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. There's the Trinity right there in verses 4 and 5. And, and then John just explodes in a doxology to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, 
and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Those were the, that was the A to Z in the Greek language. I'm the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Revelation chapter 1. This is God's word. There is a 45 to 55% chance right now that disintegration will occur. Those words were spoken by a Russian professor, Igor Panarin, who predicts that sometime next year, the United States will disintegrate. Panarin, now he's no lightweight. He was once a former KGB analyst. He is currently a dean of the Russian Foreign Ministry Academy for Future Diplomats. His forecast is that financial, economic, and demographic trends will provoke a political and social crisis in the United States. And as a result of this crisis, the wealthier states will withhold funds from the federal government and effectively secede from the union. Civil war will follow and the United States will then split along ethnic lines and foreign powers will move in. Oh, by the way, Happy New Year, everybody. Just <laughs> greet you all and, you know, let's just have fun this year because that's it, right? 
He's even drawn a map of what the divided states of America will look like. Here it is. Huh? Alaska, going to go back to Russia. All right? I hope they refund us the $7 million we paid for it. Right? You know? Uh, then, the, then there's the California Republic. It's, it's going to be its own little territory. It's going to be part of a, a, a China or Chinese influence. Texas is going to be its own country again. And the Texans are happy about that, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hawaii goes either Japan or China. Then there's, the, and it looks like there's going to be an Atlantic America, and they may join the European Union, and we go to Canada. So, uh, you know, I don't, this, I don't know, we look like in pretty safe territory, I guess. Uh, we're going to join the Canadian Football League and hockey will replace soccer. But um, uh, Panarin says, he calls the U.S. foreign debt a pyramid scheme. He says China and Russia are going to usurp Washington's role as the global financial regulator. Uh, and, and Panarin wrote, Americans hope that President-elect Barack Obama can work miracles, but when spring comes, it will be clear that there are no miracles. So, there you go. Huh? Uh, the White House has laughed this off, and uh, this, was, uh, this, was, this, this, was, this was not in the more serious section of the uh, of the the paper of, out of the, it was it's in the middle column of, of the Wall Street Journal, which is typically filled with uh, other kind of uh, delightful, fun to read sections like how to throw a grand piano 125 yards and things like that. And but I got to thinking about this, especially. I mean, this came to me. This this, this was just in last Monday's paper, and I was after I thanked the Lord for giving me such an interesting opening introduction, you know, at least to me it was. You're not laughing. Um, I got to thinking for just a minute. I wonder what it would look like. What would that be like? If, you know, the country that we know about were just kind of no more, you know? I mean, some of us have felt like, some of us have felt that on a personal level in terms of our family of origin or, you know, my home church in Tulsa no longer exists. Oh, part of me's gone there, you know. What would that be like if, if there were a divided states of America? I mean, we've had that thread in our country before in the history. They call it the Civil War. So we, we kind of, you know, what would that be like? And, 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 and I'm just... You know, I'm thinking, because I'm, I'm trying to connect with John's world here. And I'm thinking that, okay, if we had a divided states of America, I mean, would, and that happened to be our section, would the same rights and privileges that we have now, would that exist in, in the, the new setup? Maybe, maybe not, you know? What about, you know, the freedoms that we take as just are fundamental to be an American is to have freedom of speech or to have freedom of press or to have the freedom to worship. And would, would there ever be a time, you know, on this soil, this part of the country, here, right here, right now, where meeting in a room like this would be considered illegal? And surely you are aware of the reality that there are places on the face of the earth, right here, right now, where doing what we're doing here today is considered illegal. 
and punishable by imprisonment, even death. I mean, think, wow. See, I'm trying to connect with John's world. I'm trying to connect with John's world because, because the chapter that we read, it just didn't come out of, of nowhere. I mean, John's world was a world uh, where there was harsh persecution taking place. John, the apostle, the last apostle standing, all the other apostles have died. I mean, he is in his 80s, and, and we just finished. We just finished studying 1 John, didn't we? And we went through that book, and we learned that John is saying, look, Jesus is God in the flesh, and Jesus stands as our legal advocate before the Father, pleading his righteousness, his case, so that we can belong to to God's kingdom. And John says, I want you to be confident in your relationship with Christ. And I want you to know that, I, I want you to know that Jesus is why we have a relationship with God. It's not our personal human effort. But you can be confident. And you can, and then John says, remember, you can be confident about your confidence. You can know that you know. And, and how is that? Well, it came down to the three questions that John keeps repeating over and over again in 1 John. He says, you know, am I following God's word? Am I loving God's people? Am I trusting God's son? That's how I can be confident about my confidence. God's word, God's people, God's son. Trusting God's son completely. Trusting God's son exclusively. Exclusively. And that's what got John into trouble. You remember the very last verse of 1 John? Very last verse, remember? Huh? Dear children, keep yourselves from what? Idols. Idols. Keep yourselves from idols. That's nothing to us. Sure, okay. Oh, but that kind of a instruction in John's day, the Roman world was filled with idols. Absolutely filled with, I mean, when Christianity came on the scene, church family, it did not come, it just did not enter into a secular world. I mean, Roman culture, the Roman society, the Roman empire was, was among the most religious empires. You couldn't step out your front door and come face to face with different religions, with, with, with different deities. They were an idol worshiping, a, a many God polytheistic society. And, and, and they prayed to their ancestors. Do you remember, the, you remember the movie Gladiator when Maximus, several times in the movie, he prays to his ancestors. He prays to his wife or he prays to his son. And he's praying to his, you couldn't leave uh, and walk out into the streets without being hit face to face. When you'd go to work, there would be, there would be an idol. There would be a, a, a deity that you could pray to. When you went to an athletic contest, you know, we go to an assembly hall or a memorial stadium and, and what happens before the game starts, right? The national anthem. We acknowledge the flag. But let me tell you something. If, if, you know, if it, we were in Rome, we wouldn't be bowing our head or, or acknowledging or saluting a, a, a flag. It would be, you know, at Memorial Stadium, we might, there might be a shrine to Red Grange, okay? And, or there would be maybe a sacrifice that would be made at, uh, you know, Assembly Hall. Maybe uh, we would sacrifice a wolverine or something like that, you know? <laughs> uh, I mean, and then the games would begin. I mean, that's just kind of how it worked, you know? 
And, and so there would be deities, and, and, and the emperors even got in on this. Because in John's day, in John's day, the emperor was venerated and worshipped and considered a god, you know? In fact, Domitian, who was the emperor in John's day, always began his correspondence with our Lord and God, Domitian. <laughs> Now, I had an older brother who thought he was God, but I'm telling you, Domitian, you know, he really thought, and, and most of the Romans were going, you know, I, I don't think they thought he could leave tall buildings with a single bound or anything like that, but, they, but he was the head of state, and it's just kind of what a good Roman did, and so they went to the temple, and they kind of played the part, and, and it was just good Roman patriotism, but the Christians refused to acknowledge Domitian as God. They said, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And the Romans said, well, go ahead, worship Jesus too. And the Christians said, no, we will worship Jesus alone as God. Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not Lord. There is one Lord, and his name is Jesus. And there was a lot of pushback on that. And the Romans said, what are you saying? What are you, you talking, are you saying my ancestors? What are you talking about my ancestors? What are you talking about my emperor? What? And see, it was, at, it was at best, it was insulting. At worst, it was an act of treason. And the apostle John was hauled off and handcuffed and, and he was put in exile on the island of Patmos. Verse nine, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos. Why? Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. See, he was there on that island because Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not Lord. And finally, they'd had enough of his talk and we're gonna put you in time out on the island of Patmos. I want you to see where Patmos is. It's not far from where these seven churches were. These are the, these are the seven uh, churches and that's western Turkey and if you keep going west, you'll run into Greece. And, and, uh, but he's there on Patmos and uh, there's a little, there was a little community there. There was even an athletic uh, arena there and it was just a small island, but he shut out. And he's away from the people that he loves. The church is there. And if you're a leader, you'll connect with what I'm about to say because you can't influence people if you're not there. If you're not present, if you're not there in the flesh, you, you can't influence them. And John is just effectively, he's kind of shut out. And, he, and you know, he, and he just finished this putting out this fire that came which led him to write 1 John and the false teaching that occurred inside the church. And he gets that settled and gets that letter out. And no sooner does the ink dry on 1 John and gets sent off and copied to these churches than the government comes in and says, we're taking you out of the picture. You just caused it. And when John was put in exile, the intention was for the rest of his life. He would never see his church family again ever. He was gone. Now, it turns out he was only there about 18 months because Domitian died in the year AD 96, and he got to go back to Ephesus for the rest of his days. 
But when he went there, he didn't know that's where he was. He thought that was it. This is it. I'm not going to see. And, and so what, what's going to, you know, and, and you'll, these are the people that I love. These are the people that I care about. These are families. These are marriages. These are individuals. These are lives. I mean, who's going to watch after them? He's shut out from them. He can't be with them. And so what do you do when you can't be with the people that you love? You just, okay, I'm going to do what they're doing when we all get together. And so even though I can't be with you, I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship in Patmos, and these churches are going to worship in their respective cities, in the house churches where they meet, and maybe there'll be some connection. And that's what John's doing in verse 7 on the Lord's Day. John's in worship. This was while worship was going on. Some of you come and you say, I'm just going to come and sit here and it's going to be 70 minutes and I'm getting out the rest of my life. But you know you may meet Jesus when you walk into a room like this. And John met Jesus on the Lord's day. I was in the spirit. John was transported from the shadow lands of his world to the blazing realities of another world. I was... In the spirit, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet, like a trumpet, not a trumpet. He didn't hear a trumpet, but it was like a trumpet. What do you mean, a like a trumpet? Well, in war, armies back then advanced or retreated based on the sound of the trumpet. The trumpet communicated a clear, unmistakable command about what to do. There's a reason why trumpets were used in battle as opposed to a violin. It was clear. Unmistakable, which said, write on a scroll what you see, this voice, and send it to the seven churches. Now, that number seven is going to appear many times in the book of Revelation. And what you need to know is that uh, there were actually seven churches. But that number is symbolic, and it represents completeness or perfection. In other words, what's true of those seven churches then? will be true of all churches everywhere, including ours. Including ours. Send it to the seven churches. This scroll, this revelation is not just for those seven churches, but the contents of this revelation is for us as well. And John turned to see the voice that was speaking. And John says, when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, he didn't see a candelabra, all right? He saw seven golden lampstands. You say, what does that mean? Well, we just read it, didn't we, in verse 20? Not everything in Revelation is cryptic. The seven lampstands, it represents those seven churches. So there are seven individual golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone, what? Look at that. Like a son of man. Like a son of man. What's that? Like, well, look at the footnote. The footnote, that's a reference to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And Daniel 7, 13 and 14 says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority 
glory, sovereign power, all peoples, nations, and men on every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be. There's this son of man is someone of dominion and authority. And what John had read, see, there's a lot of the Old Testament in the book of Revelation, and what John had read in Daniel, he now sees this son of man, look, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. So there's something regal, something even priestly about his wardrobe, and there's a sash of gold around his chest. Notice it's around his chest. It's not around his waist. If it were around his waist, you see, that would signify that he was a worker or a servant because they would tuck their robe up into their belt, into their sash to do their work, but his was around his chest. <laughs> he, he, he manages the workers. He is... Dignified, he is regal, he is priestly. It says his head and hair were white like wool, signifying wisdom and dignity. His eyes were like blazing fire. When he looks, his insight is penetrating and he sees through. He sees, he sees everything. And his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. That signifies stability. From, the, from, from his mouth to his feet, he is stable and strong, and he's not going anywhere. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. That means he's in control. And out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. It refers to his speech. When Jesus speaks... He's true, he's accurate, and his word is decisive and final. And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And John saw this, look, and he was absolutely terrified. I fell at his feet as though dead. And suddenly he felt the right hand of Jesus on him. Stop being afraid, literally. John, it's me, Jesus. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and never, and I hold the keys to Hades. I hold, I hold the keys. I hold the keys. I have this key. This is the master key to this facility. And I can get into any door I want to. I have all power right here. Because I hold a key. But Jesus has better keys. And there's not a door he can't get through. He has access. And he has authority. And John, John is seeing a side of Jesus that he's never seen before. Uh, think of it this way. Uh, listen to this story. Imagine you've got a neighbor next door, and you see your neighbor on weekends, and, uh, but your neighbor works out of town during the week, and you visit, and you talk, and it's very conversational with your neighbor, and you have coffee with your neighbor all the time, and 
And your neighbor finally says, you know, if you ever happen to be in the town where I work, why don't you just look me up and let's get together. One month you happen to find yourself in the same city where your neighbor works. and You don't really know much about their job. You sense that you've gotten glimpses or peaks of just in the conversation about what they do, but you haven't really gotten the whole picture. You just enjoy their company. They're just down to earth. They're really good neighbors. So you're at the city where they work. You get a hold of him. Your neighbor's name is John Smith. And so you, John says, come on over to my office. And you go there, and when you get there, there's a security gate. And there's a security guard. Why are you here, sir? I'm here to see John Smith. Oh, Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith? You just know him as John. What's up with that? Yes, he's expecting you. Come right in. There's a special parking place for you. You get out of the parking place, and there is John Smith there at the door. And you kind of go in and use this huge, elaborate for your. You kind of get the idea everybody's watching, but you kind of shake it off and you say to, you say to John, where's your cubicle? And he says, well, well, come on, I'll show you. And you go through the elevators and when the doors open, there, at the top, there is this magnificent, magnificent office space. And you step out and he says, well, this is, this is my cubicle. And you realize that there are legions of people reporting to John Smith. This is your neighbor now. The one who lives in the quiet neighborhood. The one who walks your dog when you're on vacation and gets your mail and your paper and you realize that legions of people report to this person who's in charge of this huge influential business empire and you never knew it because you'd never seen John at the office until today. And the apostle John, he he had only seen Jesus in skin and peasant clothes. And yeah, he saw the miracles, but I mean, and then he saw the crucified Messiah and with his last breath, Jesus said, John, take care of Mary. And he did until she died. And then yeah, he saw, he saw Jesus resurrected, and, and, but he'd never seen the glorified Son of Man who is standing. He is standing among the churches and he is in control. And he has all authority and all dominion and all power. And there's nothing he can't do. And John realizes this thing that we need to get right here. And it's simply this. Though he is in exile, Jesus is not. Jesus is not in exile. He is among the churches. He knows what's going on. He's in control. He is certain in the midst of their uncertain world. And he has a message for them. For those churches then and for this church now. I'm in control. I know what's going on. I see what's happening. And I understand your circumstance. And what you need to understand is that you live in a world where someone pretends to be God and they're just a weak pretender in charge of a paper mache empire, but I am the ruler of the kings of the earth, and I oversee an empire that will never, ever, ever fail. That's what you need to get. John, you may be in exile, but I've got it covered because I'm in charge of my church, and there's nothing I can't do. <laughs> now, that's the message of Revelation chapter 1 right there. And I will dare say that that is the most important message that we need to get right here, right now. And if Revelation ended right here, that would be sufficient. It really would. 
Is there anything else we really need to know? <laughs> huh? Is there any? I'm really not going to be putting up charts all over this room in Revelation. I have one chart. Okay, here it is. J-E-S-U-S. That's the chart. Jesus. And he is in our midst, and he's in control, and he's sustaining us even when life's uncertain. Do you know that? Well, that kind of leads us to question three. We know where John is, right? And we know where Jesus is. The last question is, where are you? Because, see, some of you, some of you right now feel like you're in exile. You've told me this. I know. Some of you feel like you're in exile from the job that you want. Some of you are in exile because you don't have a job. Some of you are in exile, you know, you're in exile from the health that you want. You're in exile from the marriage that you want or the family that you want or the relationships that you want. You're feeling like you're, and you're, feeling like you're just shut off and you're wondering, where is God? And, 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 and some of us are feeling that Christianity is a grind. We've just kind of lost our love. We just show up. It just feels like Christianity is just showing up. We're just showing up to church and showing up to small group and showing up and we're there, but we're just, there, there's not the fire of love in our hearts. And some of us feel like that we're being pinched and we're being persecuted and picked on because of our faith. And we're wondering, God, did I do something wrong? And I'm, I'm feeling all of this. Why is all of this happening to me? Some of us feel like that this is going to be our greatest year yet because of the opportunities that we have. Some of us feel like we're in a situation and we're morally fuzzy. And we're just trying to rationalize and justify a path that is really quite clear that the Lord wants us to do this or this. And, and there's no, there's nothing uncertain about it, but we're making it uncertain because we're just spineless. And then others of us, we, we're neither boiling or we're, oh, we're just kind of tepid. Huh? See, we're all here. That, that's what we're going to find out in these seven churches. What's true of the seven churches are true of us. And the message of Revelation is that the Son of Man is among the churches. He sees what's going on. And for those of us who are feeling afflicted, for those of us who are feeling pinched, this message is a message of comfort and encouragement where Jesus is saying, I know you're feeling picked on, I know you're feeling persecuted, but it's not, be it's not because of anything you're doing, it's because there's a weak pretender in Rome who thinks he's God, he's not, and you're in that wake. And just be strong, endure. Be faithful even to the point of death, and you will receive the crown of life. That's the message for those of you who are feeling afflicted. It's a message of encouragement and hope. But... For those of us who are feeling content and complacent, this message, this message hits us right in the face because this message says, choose today. This message says that there, the worst thing that can happen to you is not martyrdom. The worst thing that can happen to you is mushy Christianity. The worst thing that can happen to you is just spineless 
jellyfish faith that just kind of flows wherever the current goes. There is a son of man and he sees and he wants you to choose. You're going to have to choose. And the sporadic persecution that you're feeling now later on is going to become more systematic and intense. And the way to get, and you, you can't get ready to be a Christian here. You got to get ready here. Because if you wait here, you're not going to make it. Now choose. And, it's, and, and there's images here that we're going to have to come face to face with. You see, see, this is a very pictorial book. And it, it, it hits us in the imagination. And it causes us and awakens us. I mean, our, our culture knows that today. You can't turn on Fox or CNN. And here you have a reporter. And then on the edge you have text. And then you have something scrolling underneath. I mean, this image is all the time. Well, there's images here. And John, Jesus is saying, you need to, which image are you going to buy into? And, and, and what Jesus says is, you better buy into my image. You see, in Rome, the goddess Rome uh, was venerated as an idol. But in Revelation chapter 17, Jesus says, this goddess Rome who is venerated as an idol, she's nothing but a harlot, Revelation 17. And then this trinity God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, see, Satan has a false trinity. He has his version, his image, uh, the false prophet, the dragon, the beast. That's the false trinity. Even the number seven has another image. You're familiar with that, 666. So you just got to choose. You got, and, and, and what you need to understand is, if you see Jesus as he is, then you'll understand this world for what it is. Jesus is not in exile, he's here. And if you refuse, listen, if you don't see Jesus as the beautiful, splendid, in control son of man who is over all and through all and in all, if, you, if that's not your image of Jesus, then, then you will see Jesus as uh, a tyrant or an ugly, tepid, wimpy philosophy. It's one or the other, you see. You just got to choose. You just got to choose. So what's it going to be? Where are you? Well, next week we'll start with the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. But before we have communion, I, I want you to just listen to this poem by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Because it really helps us focus on this question, where, where am I? It's a, it's a poem. To, you remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor who was imprisoned in Nazi Germany. He was ultimately executed just a few weeks before Allied liberation. And he was held up as a leader. But, but he had a civil war in his soul. It struggled between having to choose. And ultimately, he chose for the Lord. But it was a struggle. And this poem tells about this. It's titled, Who Am I? Who am I? They often tell me I stepped from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They often tell me I bore the days of misfortune Equably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really that which other men tell of? 
Or am I only what I myself know of myself, restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptible woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me. These lonely questions of mine. And then Bonhoeffer, you know, as if he just stops and gazes upon that son of man that John saw. He says, whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Church family. John may be in exile, but Jesus isn't. And when you see him as he really is, you'll see this world for what it really is. And you'll know who you are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us these emblems. And it's now time for us to do business with you. And we recognize you as the absolute and complete and uncontested leader and authority in this church. You matter most, Jesus. And I am so very grateful that you are in our midst. Sustaining us. Encouraging us challenging us. Thank you that you love us and thank you that you freed us and thank you that we, by your strength, have become a kingdom of priests. God, 